Yeah, hi, good morning, everyone. Welcome along. Tradies News in a nutshell for your Wednesday morning, the 3rd of January, 2024. Right across Australia this morning, Daniel Pedigree with you. Hope you're all well. For those who I haven't spoken to so far in 2024, happy new year, Tradies News in a nutshell. National for the rest of the week. I'll be with you today and tomorrow. Special guest in the studio we'll get to in just a second. Charlie Goodsir in the chair on Friday. And then everything back to normal next week with Matty Cox or his normal listers, and I'll be back to just New South Wales and Queensland. But looking forward to today's start of the third test against Pakistan. Of course, New Year's Day test all about David Warner. We'll get to that in just a second. But most importantly, want to hear from you. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy 11 70 our open line number. one three hundred. 0-1-11-70. And you can text one of two numbers this morning as it was last week. 0457 736 736 or the temper text line 0433 98 11 16. 0433 98 11 16 or 0457 736 Now on Tradies News, let's get the latest in cricket. And honoured to have this next man in the studio, as he was last week. He's back in here today and tomorrow, setting the alarm nice and early. Paul Dennett, good morning to you. Morning, Daniel. Happy New Year to everyone. And greetings from Sydney, where I'm very confident about the weather. Might might have a little bit of rain, Mm. but we're not going to be the butt of the nation's jokes at the end of this test match. I think it's going to be okay. We will have a look at the weather shortly because it has been a big talking point over the past couple of years. We had a bit of bad weather in Melbourne as well uh, last test match. Firstly, though, Happy New Year. How did you spend your New Year's Eve? Um, we uh, had a, a lovely time at the DY Beach fireworks, which are very family friendly at nine mm. o'clock and then everyone goes home mm. and showing my age. I've never done this before. I actually had a nap and had to be woken up for the midnight fireworks. Oh, really? so then, um, but then the, um, the bonus was the next morning we had people staying over. Mm. Everyone else was absolutely flaked out. I was up at eight in the morning off to the beach. And I felt like a, a new man. It was, um, it could be the could be the future. Yeah, probably you felt a bit fresher than I did, so that's not a bad <laughs> idea. I often see these people wandering around on New Year's Day, looking very happy. I'm thinking, yeah, maybe that's probably what I should have done. Anyway, I had a very good night, which is the most important thing. Any questions for Paul? By the way, jump on the open line one three hundred oh one eleven seventy oh four five seven seven three six seven three six or the temper text oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Let's get into the cricket. Um, and interested to hear from our listeners on this, and we'll look at the match coming up as a whole shortly. But Pat Cummins dubbed it a couple of days ago as Warner Week. It is his final test match. He also announced his retirement from one-day cricket, which I'll get to in a second, and that interesting comment he had around the Champions Trophy in a couple of years. But I think, and he is a polarising figure, Dave Warner. Whenever we talk about him on this station and whenever he's mentioned on social media or other media outlets, there's a bit of divide there whether people like him or don't particularly like him, but he has been a very important part of Australian cricket. Yeah, and I'm an unabashed David Warner fan. I've always liked him. Yeah, there, there are some things that he's done that obviously uh, weren't so good. Um, but I think that the, the where it comes down to for me is that Adam Gilchrist aside, mm. he's the fastest scoring test batter Australia has ever had. And I love test cricket. It's always under threat seemingly. But <laughs> when you think back to some of the the boring, stodgy players that, um, that test cricket has had. He's the absolute opposite of that. And I was listening to, um, uh, Jared Waitley the other day, he's talking about how 
when Warner walked off uh, in the second innings uh, at the MCG, that the crowd sort of spontaneously gave him a, mm. uh, a much bigger ovation than he expected. And he kind of turned around in a little bit of surprise and, and uh, duly acknowledged everyone. And I think that, yes, there are certainly pockets of, of society that don't like him and pe- plenty of people who passionately dislike him. I still think the, the majority of people um, m- probably swing more towards my view that there's a couple of things he's done they don't like, mm. but he was such an entertainer on the field that you just, um, we are going to miss him for sure. There's been a lot of talk about Australia's best 11 of all time and who would open, uh, and his name has been mentioned. I mean, it's very hard to compare different players from different eras. Would he be in your top 11 test players of all time? Would he open? Very good question. I'll tell you what, if you're playing in Australia, um, mm. you could do a lot worse than, than than to pick him. His average in Australia is absolutely fantastic. He's um, uh, a gun in the field, um, even just as recently as this World Cup. The, the two catches he took against Sri Lanka kind of were what helped get Australia's tournament um, up and running, and they're catches that a lot of other players wouldn't have taken. So, um, look, if I'm picking my world Australian best ever 11 side, I probably wouldn't even necessarily pick specialist openers. We've got so many great batsmen, you know, Bradman Smith, Ponting, Greg Chappell, Alan Border, Steve Waugh, Neil Harvey. Um, mm. The list goes on. I think Warner would probably just get squeezed out. Um, in terms of specialist openers and some of the older people remember sort of players of the, the nature of Arthur Morris and Bob Simpson. Uh, but for, um, for pure entertainment, he's right up there. And test average is going to finish around 45. That's mm. a very, very fine, um, fine record. For a player who... We're kind of lucky to have him at test level because when he was first picked, there were plenty of people who thought, oh, you can't have this slogger in there. Mm. And he's confounded the critics, proven them all wrong. Um, and, uh, you know, you look at someone like Glenn Maxwell, brilliant player, but never really got to go at test level. I think we're kind of lucky that, that David Warner was given the opportunity and he took it with both hands. His legacy, because we talk about how good he's been on the field, but of course people do go back to what happened in South Africa in 2017. Um, and I'll be, I'd be interested this morning on 0457 736 736 or 0433 to get people's thoughts on this. Have they forgiven David Warner? Because I remember, you'll probably remember it as well, the morning I woke up and heard that news, I think it was a late March day in 2017, everyone was shocked about what happened. And then when they got back, uh, they held that press conference. And, of course, they didn't play for Australia, Steve Smith or Dave Warner, for an entire year. It seems that Steve Smith has basically been forgiven but David Warner where does that all sit for you and does that taint his legacy at all when we talk about him in 5, 10, 15 years time? I think it will always get mentioned and yes to an extent it does taint taint his legacy. Uh, Personally I I think that um, I was appalled at what happened. I was watching it um, late at night. I was sort of half drifting off on the couch and then suddenly what's going on here? And (laughs) I mean you know know, the next day Malcolm Turnbull the Prime Minister or maybe the day after that was talking about it. the, the, The nation was genuinely outraged but I think that the the thing is the fact that Cricket Australia I mean the ICC the International Cricket Council gave him an almost non-existent penalty Cricket Mm. Australia to come over the top and give him um, a one-year ban from the game plus a lifetime ban from leadership positions Mm. and I saw um, analysis at the time saying this will cost him millions if not into the you know, double digit million figures in terms of lost income and indirect um, loss of income. It was a very hefty penalty. And I think it was deserved, although I think maybe the leadership ban was a little bit overstated, Mm. but I'm coming a long way around of saying he did the crime, but he did the time. And I'm personally um, 
willing to move on and you know, mention it. But mm. um, I, I have no problem with him playing um, and have no problem with him getting a great farewell. And I don't think there's going to be... I saw some talk on social media about the reception he's going to get the SCG. I don't think that's going to be a problem. I think it'll be interesting to see what the crowd is like at the SCG over the first few days. And that might be a separate topic we talk a bit about a little later on. What did you make of his retirement from one-day cricket, uh, which he announced 48 hours ago, almost 48 hours ago on New Year's Day? Firstly, was that a surprise to you? Uh, did you expect him to keep playing on or not a huge shock? Uh, I hadn't actually given it much thought, but mm. as soon as he announced it, I thought, yeah, that makes sense because mm. the the next World Cup is four years away. Mm. There's nothing much in one-day cricket that matters between now and then except mm. for this um, revamped, um, reanimated Champions Trophy. And I, I thought that his announcement that he would still be available mm. for us. Sometimes I just enjoy it when people do things that are going to annoy people. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I actually really like that suggestion because to me it makes sense. It's mm. like, you know, he, he's basically saying in two years' time, if I'm still playing in franchise cricket, maybe a bit of T20 for Australia, and I'm playing really well mm. and you need me, then I'll be, available to, I'll be available for selection. And I think that's absolutely great. Now, if Australia's got some opening batters that are flying and we don't need him, we don't need him. But if we're struggling... Um, then why not pick your best player? And mm. if he is the best player for the job, pick him into the side. And I'd rather the Australian team do well than not do well. And but predictably, I looked <laughs> below every tweet where that was mentioned. The the outrage, and I I, I just I can't see it. I, I think it's um I think it's a great uh, a great suggestion by him. Yeah, I thought. Look, I thought the comment was. I wouldn't say odd. I thought, yeah, fair enough. If he's because he's still going to be playing a lot of twenty twenty around the world, he's going to be doing all of that. I said yesterday on the show through New South Wales and Queensland, I think that probably he should still uh, like if Australia are flying, you don't want to look back. You want to go forward. You want to look at the best players at that point in time. But as you just said. If he is one of the best players and if we're struggling a little bit, even just bringing that experience in could work as well. But we are talking a couple of years down the line and it's going to be interesting to see who does open for Australia, not just in one day cricket. We'll get to test cricket as well and how everything is at in a couple of years' time. Yeah, and it is unique that um, I, I can't think of that many things. It's almost like an Olympic situation where uh, because the World Cup has risen and to such a level of prominence and all other one-day cricket has just fallen away in its in, in its importance. I mean, you ask any ardent cricket fan to describe the result of a bilateral series from a year ago, mm. and I can't remember any of them. Yep. And I watched them all, but they yep. come in, in one ear and out the other. The Champions Trophy is kind of occupying a strange spot in the middle of that now that it's, it's been cancelled and it's now being brought back. Um, and so I think it kind of makes sense to be available for the one thing that is going to matter in the next two years rather than having to um, play lots of kind of meaningless bilateral series when he could be on the the international T20 circuit. Mm. I want to talk to you more after the break about his replacement. He also had some nice words to say about Phil Hughes. So we'll get to all of that. Um, and we'll talk to you about the match, of course, getting underway today. Uh, just before we leave Dave Warner as a subject, full stop, how do you expect him to go in this test? I mean, it would be great to see him get a century and play well. We saw him get a century in Perth a couple of weeks ago. Struggled a bit in Melbourne, it has to be said. But how do we think? Is he going to get the fairy tale century, double century to finish off a remarkable test career? You wouldn't write him off. I mean, mm. it's it's the nature of batting is that you fail more often than you succeed. But uh, it wouldn't at all surprise me if he got a fair, if he got a fairy tale century and then 
uh, being a bit cheeky, if you suddenly actually, oh, I, I've enjoyed this town. I, I might keep on going. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know there'd be some people that would support that. I know there'd be some people that would not like that. Uh, your thoughts on Dave Warner. How will you remember Dave Warner, the cricketer? 0457 Not that he's totally going every, anywhere. He'll still be playing T20 cricket for Australia, and that's uh, right throughout. He'll be playing a bit of big bash. He'll be making uh, probably quite a lot of money doing the world tour in t- uh, T20 cricket. But in terms of test cricket, in terms of one-day cricket, Dave Warner, what is his legacy? How will you remember him? 0457 736 736 0433 98 11 16. Or you can call the open line, get on anytime, 1300 0111 7. Plus, any questions for Paul, get those texts or calls in. We'll take a break. On the other side of this, uh, we'll talk about who may replace Dave Warner at the top of the order. Plus, uh, we'll look at the match getting underway and we'll check the Sydney's weather, all-important weather forecast. We'll do that next. This is Tradies News in a nutshell right across Australia this morning. It's good to have your company. This is Tradies News in a nutshell right across Australia this morning. Daniel Petgrew, Paul Dennett in the studio talking all things cricket. At the moment, talking Dave Warner, of course, his last test match for Australia beginning today. Don't forget, you'll hear it all on SEN right after the breakfast shows across Australia. Asking you about the legacy of Dave Warner. How will you remember Dave Warner as a test cricketer um, as and as a one-day cricketer? Um Let's go to some texts. 0457 736 736 or the temper text line 0433 Let's start with Brett. Uh, and this, a couple of texts here uh, back to back sort of reflect, Paul, the nature of how David Warner, uh, the popularity of David Warner in this country. Firstly, Brett says, morning. On Monday, David Warner said, reflecting on Cape Town and my whole playing career, uh, I have no regrets. Uh, he continues, Brett, to say, well, David, we, the fans, had a lot of regret and embarrassment after Sandpaper Gate. Uh, that's an interesting one. I, I know David Warner said on Monday that he had, thinks he's handled himself with dignity after that and hopefully has managed to get his image back. Not those words, but it's probably what he meant. What do you make of that text from Brett? Yeah, I'm sure that a lot of people feel the same way. And uh, I think he did hand him, handle himself well after it, I was there actually on his first day back in Test cricket in 2019 at um, Edgebaston in Birmingham in England, and the reception it got it seemed like every second person at the ground had brought sandpaper along. <laughs> yes, I mean, you, you're used to at the end of the day looking at beer cups everywhere. There was sandpaper everywhere, mm. and that whole series he just took it all in good spirit, and he, he probably reacted as well as 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 could have been uh, the case. You know, he brought it on himself, so he kind of um, can't complain, and he never did complain about it, but. Um, I think that text exemplifies um, certainly how a lot of people feel. As I said, as for me, he's done the crime, he's done the time, but I, I understand a lot of people don't agree with that. Rooster Man says, I watched the whole David Warner press conference on Monday. Maybe the haters should watch it. So again, uh, one text, not a fan of Dave Warner. The next one, a fan of Dave Warner. Yeah, and I, was, uh, I think that people who know David Warner um, say that up close and personal that um, he's a, a different person than maybe the impression you might get of him um, on the field. And mm. I think that when you look at the, the, the press conference, you got a, you, you got an inkling of that as well. This text, no uh, name on it, ends in 259. Warner nowhere near our top ever test 11. Averages 26 in England and 21 in India. Sure on flat wickets against so-so attacks. Hayden and Langer from recent years would rate above in the test arena. Perhaps in our all-time white form team, of course. So not uh, anywhere near uh, the top test 11, according to that texter. Yeah, I wouldn't have him in my top 11. As I said, if it was an 11 in Australia, maybe. But I'd certainly have him 
in consideration for my, my second or third um, 11, which given how many hundreds of people have played for Australia shows how highly I regard him. I, I think in his record, it's very similar to Langer's. I know Langer probably had more success overseas, but Warner had much more success here. And he, they're going to finish with similar averages, but Warner scored his runs much more quickly and was probably a better fielder. Uh, a few more techs, 0457 736 736 or 0433 This from Dean. Forgive and forget. Good luck, David Warner. It's time to relax and smell the roses. Enjoy your retirement. Well, he's not exactly retiring, though, is he? He's going to be doing playing, as I mentioned before the break, a lot of 2020 cricket across the world. One of my great dreams would have been to be on the 2020 circuit. You know, just a couple of months here, a couple of months there, getting paid plenty to, to uh, smash the ball around. Good on them. Um, it's a... Uh, it is different. When Steve Waugh retired, that was kind of the last time uh, he was ever going to be seen in big-time cricket. We may well be seeing David Warner for, for several years to come, and I like it more this way. Yeah, I, I agree. I uh, totally agree. Um, the other one here uh, saying uh, Broad's bunny, Kevin in Adelaide. Well, he did struggle against Stuart Broad, it has to be said, in, in Ashes level, especially over in the UK. Yeah, absolutely, especially in 2019 and um, but I think as well that that touches on the way that the English fans regard him and that he's the sort of what they call the pantomime villain over there, that they love to hate him and plenty of them really do dislike him. But I've read an article about someone saying he's really sad that he's going to be leaving as well because he is a character, he's a big time um, uh, player. And I think if you ask the average person in England to name an Australian cricketer, mm. they'd probably say Shane Warne and probably the second person they'd say would be David Warner, I reckon. Mm. Uh, keep the text coming in, still flying in on Dave Warner. How will you remember Dave Warner, his legacy? Are you going to be supporting him today? Are you not uh, in his last test match? Uh, how will you remember Dave Warner? Some more texts I'll get to in just a second. 0457 736 736. Our temper text line this morning, uh, 0433 98 11 16. Or feel free to call the open line anytime, 1-300-0. 1-11-70. Just a bit of rugby league news uh, for our listeners, especially in New South Wales and Queensland. A lot of talk over the past couple of weeks or for many months now about Jerome Luai. And I know I've spoken to Matty Cox, the regular host of Trade News outside of New South Wales and Queensland about this. But Penrith have now waived on the back page of today's Sydney Morning Herald. Penrith have waived the NRL's new 10-day cooling off period on Jerome Luai's future clearing the way for him to confirm his move to the West Tigers on a $6 million five-year deal. Now, Luai is due to return to training this week, but did tell teammates back on the 16th of December that this year would be his last year. So uh, going to be very interesting. Um, it could be confirmed as soon as this week his move to the West Tigers. We'll wait and see. But the fact that Penrith have now waived that 10-day cooling-off period on his future tells me that uh, this story is probably going to move a bit quicker than some of us expected. And landing uh, with the West Tigers, $6 million five-year deal. Not bad, Paul. Yeah, I've got um, two very good West Tigers uh, friends who are very big West Tigers fans. Mm. And I think the only thing they'll be saying is we should be 2024, not 2025. Yes. Well, uh, we'll see what happens. Well, look, there was a lot of talk about that, wasn't there, a few weeks ago about whether he'll be uh, uh, at the Panthers in 2024. But everyone has come out and said that, no, he's going to be at Penrith at 2024. We'll see what happens. But interesting news there. Any West Tigers fans listening, especially through New South Wales and Queensland this morning, how are you feeling about that potentially being announced in the next, 
week, maybe. 0457 736 736. Text here uh, back to the cricket. I'd like to see Cam Bancroft replace Dave Warner and later on Matthew Renshaw when Usman uh, Kawaja retires, maybe in one or two years. And that does bring into the next thing is who is going to replace David Warner at the top of the order. So Usman Kawaja will stay for now, but he's about 36, 37 years of age, although he came out the other week and said he's not thought of retirement. Dave Warner endorsed Marcus Harris the other week, although then he was quiet about it at his press conference. Cam Green's name has been mentioned. Uh, The West Indies test match, which is only, what, 10, 11, 12 days away, who is going to be at the top of the order with Usman Khawaja? Who gets first crack at it, do you reckon? Uh, if I had to guess, I think that they are still probably angling to bring Cameron Green back into the 11 and potentially open with him. Mm. Now, it is a funny thing, I find, that they say that opening is such a specialist position. But mm. anytime anyone moves to the top of the order, they seem to have success. I mean, Justin Langer the other day was saying, oh, that we've got to have a specialist opener. Yet he wasn't a specialist opener. 2001 and got the chance to open and then formed one of Australia's most successful opening combinations ever mm. with Matthew Hayden. David Boone wasn't a specialist opener. Shane Watson wasn't a specialist opener. Simon Kadich wasn't a specialist opener. They all moved to the top of the order and did so with success. I could see a different world with David Warner. Um, if he'd been a middle-order batter, people would have been appalled at the idea of someone like him opening. How could he, with his technique, open the batting? So um, I, I understand that there's a strong push, especially from Western Australia, for Cameron Bancroft. And people say that he's played really well in the last couple of years. And he has. Um, his uh, record since the start of last season in first-class cricket is an average of about 46-47, when you include the you know, a stint in England as well. I just sort of think, well, he's a very decent player with an overall average of about 39. They all have a very similar average, those three, Renshaw, um, Harris, and Bancroft. I think that the potential upside of Cameron Green is higher than for those three. Not saying he will reach it, but I just think that he has a higher average. Um, He's younger, and I think, therefore, uh, potentially his first-class average of in the mid-40s could be indicative of the player he can be. The other thing is that uh, those three don't score very quickly, and I know that you're not necessarily trying to replace like-for-like, um, Green has played very slowly in Test cricket, but he has all those gears that he could go through. It would be if it's up to me, I would like to see Cameron Green back in the eleven. Given that I'm not allowed to plump for for um, Glenn Maxwell because people want to um, lock me up if I say that. But, um. <laughs> uh, Cam Bancroft is an interesting one, isn't he? Because he was involved, and he's sort of the forgotten man, isn't he? He was involved in that sandpaper gate. To, to what extent? Who knows? But. He has also, and that text just mentioned a couple of minutes ago that I read out about the fact that he'd like to see Cam Bancroft replace Dave Warner. Does he get a shot at any point in time? I know you're saying Cam Green, but the thing is, the first player they pick, whether that be Cam Green, Marcus Harris, Cam Bancroft, they may not may, may not succeed. They may have to go with another option. Do you think the do you think we're a little harsh, or the selection committee is a bit harsh on Cam Bancroft? Because there are suggestions. We got a text on the breakfast show in Sydney yesterday about I wonder how the playing group feels about Cam Bancroft after what happened in South Africa four or five years ago. I find the whole thing quite intriguing. I think he's definitely second favourite, or he may even be equal favourite along mm. with Cameron Green. So, uh, you know, it's it's very hard to tell which way they will jump. It's entirely possible it could be Cameron Bancroft. It was interesting that Warner um, plumped for um, uh, Marcus Harris mm. the other day. The The thing with Bancroft was not so much what happened in South Africa. It was then a couple of years later when he was over in England, gave an interview where he uh, sort of made the point of, it, it, I can't remember the exact words he used, but I remember that the fast bowling group released a statement in the, in the, in the light of it. He was kind of implying that they must have known something about it. So 
I, I, I really don't know whether that's factoring in. Mm. Um, I, I suspect it's probably not. I, I, I think the, the thing that's going to mitigate against him being picked is they're probably going to say, well, he's had an opportunity at test level. He's averaging in the high 20s at test cricket after about 10 tests. His first class record is good, but it's not amazing. He scores reasonably slowly. We think we've got a, um, a player of particular class with Cameron Green, plus the fact that Cameron Green's a specialist bowler as well. So mm. you, you, you're kind of getting that, um, that, that double bang. So that's why I think they'll go with Green. But you know, I think Cameron Bancroft is my, my expectation is the second favourite choice ahead of both Harris and Renshaw. And when you talk about Cameron Green, the last opener that was an all-rounder, although he did pull back from his bowling at the end of his career, was Shane Watson. Uh, people have mixed feelings on Shane Watson's career, but they could be looking at something like that again. And Shane Watson's career, um, his figures are actually pretty good. Mm. Uh, I think it's just that sometimes he looked so amazing um, that uh, there might have been an expectation he would succeed more at test level than he actually did. But uh, his, his test records, uh, it's nothing to sneeze at. It's, fa- it's fairly decent. Happy to hear from the listeners. Who does replace? Who would you like to see replace Dave Warner at the top of the order? Who would you like to see get first crack in that series against the West Indies starting in a couple of the weeks? 0457 736 736 uh, 1300 0111 70 or the text line 0433 Temper text line 0433 98 11 16. Uh, Dave Warner had some very nice words for Phil Hughes who we know were very, very close um, and he his sad passing 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago uh, now it was, nine, ten years ago. He said that um, if he was still alive now, that he believes Phil Hughes would be opening the batting right now instead of either Dave Warner or Osman Khawaja. Now, we, we don't know that um, and we'll never know, unfortunately, but it was nice of him to pay tribute to one of his best mates. Certainly was. And he may well be correct in, mm. you know, I, I, I thought that Philip Hughes was a champion uh, in the making and, the way that he got twin centuries against South Africa, I think in his second test match. And he, he reminded me, not in the way that he played so much, but in the kind of, um, there's something about his style of play that reminded me of Steve Waugh, that there was a brilliance there. Mm. And so many Australian players have come into the side, had some success, failed a little bit, gone away um, to shield cricket, and then come back into the side and in their second incarnation have blossomed into the true player that they can be. Ponting's one, Steve Waugh's another. There are, there are plenty of other examples of that. I thought that's what Philip Hughes was going to do. I expected I expected him to have a, a lengthy career for Australia, averaging possibly into the 50s. That's how much I thought of him. And it was quite, when you look back at that period of time, the fact that the Australian cricket team and David Warner was a big part of it back then as well, managed to get back on the field and start playing because it would have been very, very traumatising, especially for those that were there on that day as well. Absolutely. Um Malcolm Conn wrote a nice piece the other day um, about that horrible week um, mm. of, of Philip Hughes's death. And um, and he talked about actually how he and David Warner, Conn and David Warner, had had a very, very icy relationship up until then. And that um, David Warner had gone out of his way to uh, shake hands with Malcolm Conn, who was at the time a senior um, media manager for the Australian cricket team and was kind of very heavily involved in, in all that was going on and how, how much it meant to him. Um, and it just reminded me of what a horrible time it was. And, you know, I think it's a good article if you haven't read it to have a read of it and to uh, give a, another, in, a different insight into uh, the character of David Warner. Uh, on a lighter note, Michael says, uh, will Warner get his baggy green cap back? Well, that is, see, that's an interesting one in itself because uh, there, he posted a video on his Instagram yesterday. I noticed Chappelle Corby had some uh, insight into what potentially could be going on, but it would actually be devastating probably if he is to lose those baggy greens for all time. 
Absolutely, yeah. And I hadn't realised how many have been sort of misplaced or stolen or disappeared over the years. That little um, list of several players who've had their, their baggy greens taken. So hopefully it gets returned. It's... um. It's a funny one. It's become such a symbol mm. of, um, uh, you know, but there's always been those two camps as well. There's the sort of Justin Langer, Steve Waugh camp where it's holding up as a, the most important thing going around. And then there's the Ian Chappell and, and Shane Warne camp. Oh, it's just a hat. Um, so I always found that debate quite um quite interesting. But yeah, hopefully whoever's got it, um, please send it back to David yeah, Warner. Hopefully that would be good. All right, we're going to get stuck into the actual match after this because we haven't spoken about that. We will check Sydney's weather as well. Very, very important. But keep the uh, text calls coming in. one 300 one 1170 457 736 or the temper text line 0433 Heat more text there. Calls coming in as well. We'll get to all of them after the break and back with more of Paul Dennett. This is Tradies News in a Nutshell right across Australia on your Wednesday. Wednesday morning. Nice to have your company, Tradies News, in a nutshell, right across Australia. The breakfast show is just over 20 minutes away, and then we'll be live to the Sydney Cricket Ground for the third test, the New Year's test against Pakistan. Looking forward to that. Paul Dennett in the studio with me talking all things cricket. The all-important weather forecast in Sydney today, no rain at all. Top of uh, 29 degrees. We look at the next few days. Uh, tomorrow, a bit of rain, but only a shower or two. A top of 29 as well. Uh, and then on Friday, just cloudy. Not a lot of rain. Uh, 25. Saturday, a bit the same. 25, just a possible shower. And Sunday, 27. So, uh, fairly mild, especially Friday and Saturday. But not a lot of rain, which is good news, seeing what has happened over the past couple of years at the SCG test. Yes, I think I said it last time I was on that Rick Finlay has this awful stat that he puts out each, each time the Sydney Test is on saying most days lost in Test cricket history. And I think Sydney actually beats Manchester in England and and beats everywhere else. Yeah, I mean, exactly. But um, the the weather apps that I trust most, there's there's potentially a little bit of rain that we'll lose, uh, a little time that we'll lose. But I'm very confident that um, that the overall Test match is not going to be marred by the weather. And so all the nat- interstate people listening, um, please get off our case. We're a lovely city. There we are. We are 0457 736 736. Your thoughts on Dave Warner. How will he re- be remembered? And who replaces him at the top of the order? Temper text line is 0433981116. And the open line, which is where we're going now, 1300-011170. Michael is on the line. Morning to you, mate. Morning, Dan Paul. I just wanted to mention um, Andrew McDonald. Everyone was jumping up and down about him being selected over Justin Langer. To me, you don't really hear much from him. And it seems like Patrick Cummings and the boys are running the ship, doesn't it? I I think he's doing a great job. And I think that although it was acrimonious the way that the the change between Langer and McDonald took place, in times to come, we might actually look back and say we kind of accidentally muddled our way into the right um, the right way of doing things. I think that Langer was the right person after the Sandpaper Gate. Um, and then I think that the players wanted a, a, a different style of, of, of coach. And I think that Andrew McDonald suits um, Pat Cummins' style really well. I know it makes Ian Chappell happy because he always said that, well, he doesn't want to coach at all, but he wants the captain to be very much leading from the front and the coach there in the background, which I think McDonald is doing. And I think that McDonald has probably played a little bit of a part in the making the statistical analysis more prominent. The, 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 the thought that went into bowling first in the World Cup final when everyone expected them to bat first and which ultimately, I think, proved to be a, a winning decision. 
um, has been good. So I think he's he's ticking along there nicely in the background and um, is is starting to create quite a good reputation. Thank you for the call, Michael. Keep them coming in. one 1170 457 or the temper text line 433 Let's get your preview of the third test. We do that for the Makita XGT Experience Professional Cordless Power Without Limits. The Boxing Day test was a lot closer than people thought. Um, and when Australia were four for 16, and you thought, oh, Pakistan, a real chance here. And then if they had caught Mitch Marsh when it was, what, four for 45-ish, I reckon that probably goes a long way to securing them the test. They almost got there anyway in that run, Chase. It was gripping viewing uh, the other day. Australia managing to win in the end. How do you see this third test playing out? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, congratulations to Pakistan for really lifting in the second test match. And I've said it before, I think that this shows that, you know, they've come here with without much preparation, fastest pitch in the world in Perth. They lost there as expected. They almost won in Melbourne. Um, the rivalry with India, there's now such a huge thing. Wasn't really that big 25 years ago. I think that we should do more with this rivalry with Pakistan. They've got a quarter of a billion people. They love cricket. Test cricket in Australia, we kind of have big summers when England come out and big summers when India come out. Let's make it a big summer when Pakistan come out and try to get them out here for five test matches going forward. Look, you'd like to say that they'll build on that in the third test and that um, they'll be even better for the run in the second test. But Pakistan being Pakistan, anything's possible. They they, they could fade away and Australia could win convincingly. Uh, Usually you want to bat first in Sydney. The pitch is a bit of an unknown. Um, There's been some strange pitches. There was a, a pitch earlier in the season in the Sheffield Shield that really copped a lot of criticism. Uh, Tasmania were bowled out for something like 60. Tim Payne was very, very critical of it. I imagine that they have um, hopefully learnt from that and are producing one that will last a little bit longer. I hope that it has a bit of spin and um, it might be a good pitch to, to bat first on. Pakistan have actually had to make a couple of changes to their side. They've dropped their, well, they've omitted their kind of the leader of their attack, Shahin Sharafridi, sort of as a precaution given his high workload, but they're talking about, oh, you know, they want to get him ready for the five T20 series against uh, New Zealand coming up, which seems a bit of a bizarre um, ordering of priorities. But they've also brought in a young player, same Ayub, for Imam al-Haq, and I think that's going to be good. Imam al-Haq's um, the nephew of um, Inzamam al-Haq, who was very aggressive, but Imam al-Haq in test cricket's been very, very solid and slow. Um, Ayub's going to be a lot more aggressive and um, I think um, will be a good addition to the side. And they've got um, Sajid Khan, an off-spinner, coming in as well. So I think that they shape okay. Um, Australia, I think, are a better side. Mm. But, um, yeah, uh, they haven't won here since 1995-96, and that was in Sydney. Um, So maybe it's the ground for them to do well. And you wonder how much Boxing Day took out of them as well because they were very close and emotionally, maybe not physically, but emotionally. But it might give them a boost because just a couple of – some of the drop catches uh, hurt them and just a couple of things going differently. They probably win that match. And I'll tell you what it does do. And we'll talk about, because Steve Waugh and Pat Cummins have both come out over the last 24, 48 hours talking about the future of Test Cricket. And we'll talk more about that tomorrow on the show when you join me. But it's very exciting what we're going to see next year with India, the year after with England as well. So we've got two really exciting summers coming up. Absolutely. And I still think that there is... At its best, test cricket when played on wickets that give both sides a chance and a bit of bounce, um, and especially over a five-test series when it can ebb and flow and both nations really get into it, uh, it is the best form of cricket and everything should be done to care for it. I I loved the fact that Steve Waugh came out swinging, Mm. and I I think that something needs to be done. And we we talked about it months ago, that this South Africa 
regrettably having to pick effectively a seaside for this upcoming tour of New Zealand was kind of a line in the sand moment. I understand why South Africa have had to do it. I don't really blame them, but I think cricket needs to do something about this. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. That was for the Makita XGT, the professional choice for cordless convenience, unmatched performance, innovation and power without limits. More texts 0457 736 736 temper text line 0433 16. This text, if Bancroft doesn't get picked to open, what is the point of our Sheffield Shield competition? And the Sheffield Shield is something we touched on a bit, uh, bit last week. Very briefly, again, we may talk more about tomorrow. What do you make of that text? Yeah, I've heard that sentiment expressed a lot. Um, and I suppose my answer to that is he has played a lot of Sheffield Shield cricket and it's because of his record in the Sheffield Shield that he's not an automatic selection for the Test Match side. He's got an average overall in first-class cricket of about 39 at a, a scoring about a strike rate in the low 40s. He's not dominating at that level. And although, yes, he's had um, a, a couple of really good seasons in the Sheffield Shield, um, his overall average since the start of last summer is 46.8. And I sort of say, is that enough to convince me that a man who's 31 and has an overall record of 39, which is very good, but is it going to be a level of dominance in test cricket that we can expect from him? I would need to see more from him for, for me to pick him. The selectors may view it differently. He certainly wouldn't be a bad choice, but I, I think that uh, it was up to him. It's open to him to score more runs in the Sheffield Shield. He's doing that. I'd like to see him do it for a little bit longer. Bondi Jack says, Paul, it is crazy to fiddle uh, with head uh, five and March six purely to promote the feel good green opener uh, hyperbole. It is insane. Green must wait. Renshaw fought back, but has since been mucked around in the middle order by Cricket Australia and weather in South Africa, India and Australia. Bondi Jack. Well, I think Bondi Jack, the, the plan would probably be that they actually might even open with Cameron with um, Cameron Green, in which case it would leave um, uh, Head and Marsh in, in their spots at five and six um, unaffected. So I know I, I don't think they're picking him because it's a feel-good factor. I think they're picking him because they think that he is the future of Australian um, uh, cricket and that he he should be back in the side. Uh, this text says Cricket Australia should flip Perth and Sydney because of Sydney's rain history. Already the third test looks like rain. Well, no, there's not going to be too much rain around, but there has been a lot of talk about that since last year about Sydney losing that New Year's test. I can't see that happening anytime in the near future. Despite the rain, if it rained each year, every year, and there's no cricket at all, then maybe. But this test match, for example, looks like we're going to get pretty much play all the way through. Yeah, I think it was Warnie who first suggested that. I think you've been <laughs> looking at the rainfall tables, and I had a look at them. And the other day because I've got such a great life. And um, it didn't seem to me that there's that much of a difference between if you move the test match between uh, the first week of January to late January or December in Sydney. I think that you're kind of um, six to one, half a dozen the other. Uh, this text says uh, in terms of their greatest Australian side of all time, Hayden, Langer, Simpson, Morris, Taylor, Boone, or uh, maybe Batsman, then Warner perhaps. Boone and Taylor batted against much better attacks, i.e. the West Indies went strong. Warner against a strong West Indian attack, i.e. Holding, Roberts, Marshall, Ambrose, would have averaged no more than 20. Uh, I mean, I, I agree with some of that and disagree with some of that. I think that um, you, could, you could say that, yeah, Taylor had to face some very good bowling from the West Indies, although um, they were coming towards the end of their great period. He also got some fairly ordinary bowling against the England side when he dominated in 89. Um, I suppose you could add to that list Bill Ponsford, Arthur Morris. Um, I think you mentioned Bill Laurie. Um, so... Um, I think I'd have Warner ahead of um, potentially Boone and Langer and certainly ahead of Taylor, but below maybe some of those other guys. And certainly Hayden, I think, right up at the top is um, is probably our premier opener. Now, just quickly, only got about a minute left. BBL last night, Glenn Maxwell once again. I mean, it was a game that if you didn't see it, uh, where 
it was rain reduced, Melbourne Derby, and both sides were struggling to score runs. The pitch was a little bit spicy, and especially against the spin. And then this situation arose where Melbourne Stars, having looked like they were going to win easily the entire match, were suddenly, oh, hold on, they could lose this. And Maxwell just went bang, bang, bang off Adam Zampa and hit three consecutive sixes uh, when no one else was really being able to strike the spinners. And I just thought, once again, this guy can do things that other people can't. And as I said, I'm not going to push for him in the Australian side because uh, people get angry. <laughs> but, um, geez, uh, geez, I'm a big fan. <laughs> He's had a remarkable 12 months, uh, really, when you think about what he did in the World Cup as well a few months ago and then what he's been doing in the Big Bash. And we'll see what 2024 holds for him. Paul, great stuff. Uh, enjoyed the first day of the test match. Uh, so if you win the toss, you bat. I think so, um, and unless the pitch um, reveals itself to be something different. Um, and lastly, shout out to the Aussie women who had um, mm. a big win last night uh, against India. Phoebe Litchfield, Alyssa Healy, um, and that's a 3-0 clean sweep of the one-day series for them there. Yeah, bouncing back after their loss in the test match. Paul, great stuff. You'll be back with me tomorrow morning. Looking forward uh, to that. Should be an interesting day one. Looking forward to it. See you guys. Paul Dedditt talking all things cricket. He'll be back with me tomorrow. Keep the text calls coming in. 0457 736 736. All the temper text line 0433 98 11 16. We'll come back with more. Breakfast is only about 10 minutes away. Big thanks to Paul Dennett once again for joining me in the studio. He'll be back with us tomorrow morning. A text from another Paul on 0457 736 736 or 0433 98 11 16 says, I know we like to joke about it, but what is the argument for leaving Glenn Maxwell out of the test side? Look, we'll talk to Paul Dennett about that tomorrow. Uh, very short on time now before the breakfast shows get underway. But I'll save that text, Paul, for tomorrow morning. Uh, and we'll talk to Paul about that because it is an interesting one and it's one that has divided people for quite some time, Glenn Maxwell, in his test playing career. So we will do that. Uh, in terms, another text here in terms of washed out cricket tests, uh, this text, Sydney 26 days, Melbourne 9, Brisbane 8, Adelaide 2, Hobart 1. Yes, take your point. I understand that. But uh, in terms of at least this test. We're expecting maybe a bit of rain in Sydney tomorrow, um, but that is about it. And Luke in Sydney has text as well on 0433 98 11 16 or 0457 736 736 saying, hi, I absolutely support Warner. He's made mistakes, but build a, but build a bridge people. Uh, he's the kind of nugget you want in your team. A thrilling player, Luke in Sydney. So thank you, uh, Luke. Yeah, going to be very interesting. Uh, his final test, interesting to see how he goes. Paul Dennett believes quite possibly he could get a century. So we'll wait and see what happens. We'll see who wins the toss first. We'll see if Australia does bat today at all. He might have to wait until the second innings. We'll have to wait and see what happens there. Thank you for all your texts and calls today. Been fun. As I say, live coverage of the SCG test straight after the breakfast shows this morning. And the breakfast shows are coming up up right after the news. Paul Dennett will be back with me tomorrow morning uh, to look back at day one of the SCG test. Thank you for your company. Thanks for all your texts and calls. Breakfast coming up after the news. I'll see you tomorrow morning. Have a great Wednesday.